0: Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of Back to Basics, Reconnecting to the Essence of You. I have a beyond special guest today. and with Father Robert Ayala, who is a dedicated Catholic priest with a profound commitment to spiritual guidance and community service. Currently serving as a pastor of Nativity Catholic Church in Hollywood, Florida, he brings a wealth of experience and a compassionate approach to his pastoral duties. Known for his engaging sermons and thoughtful guidance, Father Ayala has been instrumental in creating a welcoming and inclusive environment within the congregation he serves and creating an unparalleled sense of community wherever he goes. Well, welcome, Father Robert, to Back to Basics.
1: Thank you, Leticia. It's great to be here.
0: Well, I'm very excited, and people shall know that I was. Uh, I've interviewed several rabbis, one Buddhist monk, and I had never had a Catholic priest. And I have said many times I'm Catholic, so this is a big deal for me.
1: So it's wonderful that I get to be the one that breaks the ice for that one.
0: <laughs> uh, it had to be somebody like you. I'm not going to interview just any, any Catholic priest. I and, uh, that. And in all honesty, you know that I was uh, part or I am part of St. Matthew Catholic Church because it's close to where I live. And when I and you were the pastor there for many years. I was. So to be exact. How many? Six. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was a long time. So I saw uh, and I've been part of that parish for over 15. So I saw the change you made in that parish. And for the background of people listening to us, when I heard you were leaving, I was like, everybody bombed. I'm like, no, we are losing Father Robert. This is so sad. And then I heard he was going to Nativity and he's where my kids go to school. So I said, well, I love mixed
1: him. emotions.
0: Yes. I told all the people at St. Matthew, I said, sorry for you, but I gave Father Robert.
1: <laughs>
0: but the craziest thing is, and was a surprise for me, to see how many people from St. Matthew has followed you to Nativity. And so this is where I want to start the interview, because we all know that to be a great spiritual leader or a leader, for that matter, you really have to inspire others. And that's something you do very well. And so I'm curious to know about your early years, your origin story. Was this something that the little robber was always able to do, or how how did you came into this calling?
1: So my parents would always say that I was an old soul. When most of the kids were outside playing and uh, doing other things that kids usually did, I was probably more interested in what the uh, the adults were talking about and what the conversation was and perhaps i don't know maybe this was god's way of uh, preparing me to be able to interact with the realities of life and uh, real human issues i don't know th- those different things was the priesthood a calling that i had since i was a little boy that i remember saying that no but my aunt says yes uh mm-hmm. she says that even since i was a little boy that i would say that i was going to be a priest and so mm-hmm. yeah i guess from the very beginnings this movement that God had already placed in my heart was there.
0: Mm, That's beautiful. And it's beautiful to see an elderly. It's not the first time that people that are close to us see something. This is that superpower or that special gift that we have that sometimes we miss. And and so, because I know that uh, even more in modern times, like if you go, my parents are Sicilian, so I still hear how, what a blessing it was when you had somebody called to serve in church. It was like a big honor. Yes, it was. I think it still is, but we see less and less, like less parents go and say, oh, you should go and be a priest. And I've seen you, you know, encourage that. And I think that it's a beautiful thing as a parent to hear that you tell the kids, don't be afraid if you feel that there's something in your heart. Would you, would you share a little bit more about that?
1: That's a very interesting dynamic because people realize that there's a shortage of priests. Many parishioners want for more young priests to enter the seminary and to be ordained, uh, to be their ministers, but not with my kids. Mm -hmm. They want somebody else to Mm -hmm. answer that call. And Mm -hmm. if I'm living proof of what that reality is, is going into the seminary, listening to God's voice, and answering that call of vocation to the priesthood, comes not from, as I say to the kids, from Planet Priest, it happens from within the families. Sometimes that's nurtured, and sometimes that's not. And I think that God has a very good sense of humor, because I have Mm -hmm. many, many, many mothers that said, oh, I wish one of my kids would be a priest, but none of them want to even have anything to do with the church. And Mm -hmm. then the ones who probably have... No parent that want them to be a priest, all of a sudden are the ones that are answering the call. So, uh, you know, I think sometimes God has a a very good sense of humor when it comes to calling. God calls not the ones that are qualified. God qualifies the ones that are called. And Mm. there's no—when we were in the seminary, there was no one story that predominated of how the guys were called to become priests and enter the seminary and, you know— Kind of wrestle with that uh, uh, call that you know it's there, but is it me? Is it God calling? Is it something that I put in my head by myself? All of those things that we wrestle with. You listen to when I was there, we were uh, almost sixty guys in the seminary from different dioceses, of course, but none of the stories were exactly the same, except for the one thing we wanted to serve. We wanted uh, to answer God's call. We wanted to be Christ for those that we were going to be sent to as future priests.
0: I love that. And I love the, the fact that you, you ask about the, or you tell about the struggle, because I think that's where most people have that curiosity. Because maybe they have the little voice or they feel not only to become a priest, but to serve more, to be more involved in church and uh and we push it down we push it down when you decided to go to the seminary how loud was that voice or were you saying well let me just try or or how was that for you
1: so to be able to answer that question i have to go back a little bit because when you're called it doesn't happen in a vacuum there's a series of things that happen and so you you know that somehow something is there and i think the biggest obstacle in the discerning aspect is, like I said earlier, is this me? Am I trying to escape something? Um, Is this even really real? A whole sort of things. And in my life, everything kind of started to play out that way. My mother was always the one that was very um, uh, intuitive in bringing us to religious education. My entire education was public schools. I never set foot in a Catholic school, and my vocation came from, Catholic, uh, from public schools, not from Catholic schools. My sister was the only one that uh, actually went to Catholic school at Immaculate, and that upbringing and that preparing for the sacraments for me especially, uh, confirmation was very important. I think that was the first time in my life that I actually came face-to-face with the bishop. And in that case, in my case, uh, the um, uh, confirming prelate was uh, Bishop romang which was such an incredible person. And you sensed that from the moment that he entered, but to be able to be there in front of him face-to-face and to be able to receive that sacrament that was being administered was very important to me. And from there on out, I think something happened. I knew there was a calling, but I didn't know what it was for. I always knew that I was very good when it came to technical things, and I knew that I loved computers. And if I was going to go into college, it was always going to be with the idea that I would major in something that had to do with computers. I started dating a girl that was uh, part of the youth group in uh, St. Benedict's when I was there. And we were not only very good friends, but the romantic part of that actually began to happen. And in my mind, I'm thinking, well, if God has placed all of this before me, where I have my girlfriend, um, I'm going to start college soon, and this is what I want to major in. I feel comfortable in the youth group. They asked me to lead a few of of the meetings, and I felt very comfortable doing that, although I didn't know exactly what I was doing then. I thought, Maybe my calling then is to the permanent diaconate. And I was convinced that that's what it was. God is calling me to the permanent diaconate. I ventured into Encuentro Juveniles, which for me was, for lack of a better word, the nail in the coffin, because there I began to experience a lot of things. And I developed a friendship that became a fraternal friendship, a brother to this day. He is my very best friend. Listening to the passion with which he spoke about everything that had to do with Catholicity and everything that had to do with the mass enamored me more. As he spoke about the person of the priest, as he spoke about the Eucharist, there were things that he was saying that were for me very important. And to this day, I still carry them with me. He decided that he was going to go into the seminary. He felt the call. So he actually entered the seminary. And while he was in the seminary, even though I was still going through my classes at Miami-Dade, hoping to be able to get my AA degree and then move on to something else uh, to finish my degree, I would visit him at the seminary regularly. And sometimes I would go have dinner with him. That was a possibility of uh, people from the outside to come in. And that's when things began to maybe change for me, because I thought, if I wanted to be a permanent deacon, why, why is this so... I don't know, important. Why is this so uh, big for me? Well, the honesty is that he decided to leave the seminary. He actually went on to Steubenville to continue his degree. But for me, even though he left, there was still something there. And when we were in Encuentro Juveniles, and him as well, something very difficult happened. Uh, We were planning a retreat The retreat was held, or the planning period of the retreat was being held at one of uh, uh, the members of Encuentro Juveniles, which was also a very good friend. He lived in a cul-de-sac, and that was an important part of this story because this is where everything kind of turns into something, uh, unfortunately, very sour. I used to drive a pickup truck, and there was one specific member of uh, the group that was always the... The jokester, the one that was always uh, trying to play pranks and all of the things that uh, we usually do when we're teenagers. And as I was getting ready to leave, turning around in that cul-de-sac, at some point, without me knowing, he decided to jump in the back of the pickup truck. And when we were going halfway down the street, he knocked on the back of the window of my pickup truck and the jokester that he was and I said you know now going now you're going to wait until I get to the end of the of the of the street for you to get down well mm. so he jumped and unfortunately he slipped and he landed head first and he died
0: mm.
1: and that was i think a culminating moment for all of us that were there including this friend of mine who um knew that he had a vocation to the priesthood but then later left and for me that was probably the most i don't even know what the word is the most um disturbing time in my life because i felt very responsible for what happened although i never made him jump or anything my my thing is that i should have stopped i should have made him get down The 100 million things that go through your mind when something tragic like this happens mm-hmm. but something happened during this period and i sought therapy of course because this was something very large for me and i I did so with an incredible Catholic man, uh, Dr. René de la Huerta. He was an amazing, amazing therapist. He's passed away since, but an amazing man. And in the midst of all of that therapy and everything happening, I heard for the first time in my life so very, very clear. And it was for me and always will be the voice of God that said, what you're going to do, do soon because life is short those were the exact words that i heard Hmm. and i knew exactly what it meant it was this wasn't about being a permanent deacon this was about becoming a priest so my next session with uh dr Rene de la huerta i told him that i was thinking about becoming a priest and i'll never forget he sat back on his chair and he looked at me and he said you're going to be an amazing priest He says, we no longer need to see each other. I think you're already on the way of where you need to be. Wow, The movement from that entailed a lot of things uh, that all of the guys go through when they are uh, actually applying to the seminary and, uh, you know, seeking that the diocese that they live in or where they want to be in would sponsor them, et cetera, et cetera. But the hardest part was that even though I was doing all of this, my girlfriend was still there. And now I needed to deal with, okay, what do I do? Needless to say, it didn't go down well. Um, She knew that the next step in our relationship was probably the proposal and that obviously never came. And so that was a very difficult conversation that we had. But I think even in the midst of her pain and in the midst of her listening to my words of what I was saying, I think she got it even though she was angry to the point where she was there for my first mess. And so, you know, when you listen to that voice of, yes, I want to be a priest. Yes, I want to be a priest. I think I'm being called. There's so many things that actually are part of that aspect. And during the entire time of the seminary, that question doesn't stop. You keep asking that question because you don't know if that's exactly where God wants you to be there's so many different priests that you um, uh, are obviously very close to, and they're giving you advice. But I remember one priest specifically, uh, Father Valoret, and he told me, when you get to the major seminary, you put on the top of your door, acolyte, the Hmm. different uh, way, uh, the the different steps of getting to uh, actual holy orders, and then lector, uh, and then diaconate, uh, and then priesthood. And every time you go through that door, you look at that and you remember that's what it is. And you ask God every day if that's where you need to be. Mm. And I never forgotten those words. I think the moment those questions stop is the moment that you are ordained. That's the moment it stops. And I think it's the same thing with people who are married. You wonder if this is the right person, if this is the one. Well, the moment that you exchange those vows, that's it, it's a done deal. And it was for us as well. And... I really do believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that everything that happened in my life as I was growing up and listening to the conversations of adults and uh, probably being very different from the rest of my cousins or even my own siblings, all of this was leading me to where God was leading me, even though it might have taken me a longer time to be able to understand and even in my own discernment to know, yes, this is exactly where you need to be.
0: Mm. Well, I thank you for that story. I know there's going to be a lot of people that admire you listening to this and having this background to to the fact that we are all humans and we all suffer. And when we hear you giving the sermon, you know, you, you of course have so much wisdom, but to know that you went through such difficult experiences. And as a priest, I think we all think about this when something bad happens to us, we think, uh, why me? Uh, I lost one of my best friends at 17 on a terrible car accident. And I remember that was also game changing. Yep. And I remember, you know, praying a lot. We would go and I and I made the promise I'm going to leave for me and for you when we bury her. And every I became a mom, I always think now we are a mom and always, you know, but also I became very aware of God is not always there when he's bad, but he's there when he's good. And that's yep. why we need to stay connected. And that's a struggle, right? Because we look for God only when it's bad, but going to mass, having a place to go. So this spiritual direction. With you, I think everybody that has been to your sermons say, yeah, I go there, I feel I feel energized. But we know that the Catholic Church, of course, suffers from the fact that sometimes we go to a church and we leave and we don't feel we're getting that. So in your perspective, what, what are the things that as a... As a as a congregation, larger congregation, all the, how can we call in more people that need the spiritual direction, but they don't know how to connect anymore with
1: their own faith or spirituality? I think everything has to do with education. And I think that that's what I strive to do with my RCIA classes that I teach every Monday, tonight being one of them. The the idea that if you understand your faith enough Yes, you might enter into a church where maybe the priest is not the best homilist, but he's a good person. He might not be um, the most energetic, but what's happening on that altar is the most important thing. I think that that's the difference between the Protestant church and the Catholic church. Ours is not just simply about preaching. It's also about the Eucharist that's on the altar. And as important as the preaching is, because people need to be, as you were saying, energized. They need to hear how the gospel fits and is still relevant significantly in their lives in today's world. You also have to understand that what is happening on the bigger altar, on the altar of sacrifice, is the greatest miracle that ever happens. I sometimes laugh because it it makes no sense to me. People flock to all of these places where the People that are uh, maybe seeing a vision or uh, an image of the Blessed Mother appeared. I remember here in Fort Lauderdale many years ago when I was still growing up, this image that appeared on a glass and dozens of people flocked to that. And I think to myself, but the biggest miracle is on the altar. The most beautiful miracle is Jesus Christ becoming visible for you and for me under the humble appearance of bread and wine. I wonder how many people actually understand and believe that. And perhaps because there's such a deficiency of that, this movement now of the Eucharistic renewal that is happening throughout many dioceses uh, in the United States. Because people, I think, have gotten used to it. It's become routine. So yeah, maybe you won't have a priest that's a dynamic preacher. Not all of them can be, but it might be an incredible human being that's gonna be there and listen. Maybe he's not the most incredible human being, but he's a good administrator, or maybe he is a good uh, educator. We all are called in different ways because God saw that whatever we have, the gifts that he has given us, we are able to put forth in uh, the realm of the kingdom that he's placed us in. Mm, That's
0: fair. That's so, so touching. And that leads way because I ask a group of people that know you, I'm like, I'm going to interview Father Robert. So why can't we ask him? And so one of the questions I got is from a dear friend. And her question is around the New Age movement and how do we, you know, there's so many things out there that, you know, in a way, are affecting our or impacting the Catholic faith and our Catholic beliefs. And we, of course have tradition is a big part of who we are. But now we have to blend with spirituality in general. I have to admit, i I like, and that's why I interview all sorts of faith. I think that when we come together, you know, each one with their own beliefs and what we we, you know serves us but but at the same time to exclude everything and not to and not to hear what's going around us is also i don't think serves a purpose and i think that's why you're such a great priest to be honest because Thanks. i think you're an inclusive uh priest but for those concerned more about like that that new age movement and the new things happening what what's your take on that
1: so here's the thing a lot of people nowadays will identify with maybe an understanding that they are spiritual. They're very spiritual. And that's wonderful. God bless you if you're spiritual. But I think spirituality is only going to take you so far as you allow that to lead you. Because spirituality can be pulled in many different directions and can be interpreted in many different ways. And at the end of the day, it's going to be reduced to a feeling. That's why people are very spiritual because it makes me feel good. The problem with feelings is that feelings come and go. And so what happens when that feeling or that euphoria or that thing goes away? This is the very same thing that happened when I was discerning my vocation. Is this just simply a feeling or is this something real? Not to pun the the song, but, you know, (laughs) it really is. Is this something real? or have I put this in my head, or what have other people said somehow affected my thoughts? So in keeping with that, the church is spiritual in every aspect. In fact, if you look now at the movement that's happening in the church, a lot of people were moving back into that Tridentine Mass. And you have to ask yourself, why would we take that step now where, I remember my grandparents telling me we would come to Mass and I had no idea what the priest was saying we wouldn't even know what he was doing because he was facing the other way all we saw was his back we didn't understand the words and this is exactly what most of the young people today are attracted to and if you think about it what they're attracted to is the mystery they're attracted to the mystery that is the tridentine mass but the fact of the matter is that mystery is the same tridentine or not novos ordo's or not the mystery is How much do I understand and believe in the Eucharist that is being celebrated? I think as priests, we have a very, very significant role in that. Meaning, the dignity and the manner with which I celebrate that mystery is very important. I think in the very same way that a teacher that wants to be able to push forth the material that she or he is teaching um, and has a passion for what they're teaching... So to the priest, if that message, that mystery, that belief, that passion isn't coming through in the manner with which you are celebrating mass, people are going to look somewhere else because they're looking for that mystery. And we are the key to that. If I don't care on the way that the vestments look, if I don't care in the way that I say the words, if I don't care in the way in which my belief is coming through in the words that I'm saying, as those words of institution are being said and prayed over, that's a big deal, a very big deal. So I would say for any one of us that to be able to understand that mystery that New Age might bring and that spirituality that people look for The church already has that and encompasses all of it in its entirety. But we have to find it. A lot of people seek out Buddhist uh, spirituality because of the meditations and the mantras. But if you study church history, if you look at the beauty and the vastness of the Catholic church, that's already included. Many of the monks already had that. Mm-hmm. So we look other, other places because we don't know our own faith. We don't know the beauty and the richness that it is. I remember when uh, now Bishop Barron, then Father Barron started the Catholicism series. What caught me was the words that he said when he was introducing this new program that still had not been released to anybody yet. He said, Catholicism is beautiful. Catholicism is smart, Catholicism is great, but we have allowed other people to tell our story. We have to tell our story. Those words have remained with me. We have to tell our story because it is beautiful, it is smart, but we have to be able to present it to others. Um, I, I oftentimes worry that sometimes there might even be a schism in the church of those that are ultra-traditionalists and think that maybe the Tridentine Mass is the only way, or others that say only the uh, Novos sordos, when you start dividing the church in that way, schisms begin to erupt. And that's mm-hmm. not the Church of Christ. The Church of Christ is unified. Christ came to gather, not to scatter. The enemy scatters. And mm-hmm. so I think that to be able to come together and to be able to see all of the different richness and vastness of the church is I think the most wonderful gift that we have inherited from our Catholic faith.
0: Mm, I love that, and I love that you say that it's all in there already because I—that's how I feel. And I—I I have to say, I meditate every morning, but to me, it's prayer. But I've had people say that don't meditate—that's not—I'm um, saying, but I'm—I'm I'm praying. I start my with the whole with our Father. That's how I start my. To me, it's being—it's a moment of reflection. It's not like uh, meditation is only for one kind of spirituality or belief, and so when I, I love that you said that when we try to label things or put it here and there, I think that that's you know it divides for sure, and yeah. and so and so with that, what would you say is one of the biggest. Or, or what do you feel are some of the misconceptions of Catholic faith? Because I find myself sometimes defending, like, right? I say, for every time they say there's a bad priest, I always say, how many are good? How many did good things? And why do we always focus on the bad thing? And I think it's we are misunderstood as, as much as we dislike that. In your opinion, what are some of those big uh, misunderstandings about our faith?
1: I think the biggest misunderstanding is something that the Protestant movement has uh, pushed in its agenda, that somehow we are the idolaters, that we are the prostitute, uh, you know, uh, the harlot, and all of these different adjectives that have been added to the church. Uh, I always, and even in my classes, RCAA will teach that, yes, the church has made many mistakes. There are some popes that are saints. There are some popes that have been sinners but the one thing that keeps it together is the Holy Spirit. Because any other way, this would have ended a long time ago because of the mismanagement of the human brokenness that is humanity. And, you know, the mystery that Christ has left in the church, that's real, but we hold those in earthen vessels, what we are. And so I think the biggest misconception is that somehow the church is this made up thing that has been brought down from centuries and has antiquated views and that somehow needs to be updated. And I remember one of my professors in the seminary that used to say, La cosa de Palacio va de The mm-hmm. church moves ever slowly. She doesn't just simply change because there is a new current in uh, in the world or in society it takes time. I think most of the criticism that our present Holy Father has received has been precisely that, because he's moving outside of those areas, and maybe people are uh, used to that status quo, but it shouldn't be that way.
0: Mm. (laughs) Wonderful. (laughs) Father Robert has a but they are blowing leaves for those of you who know why, but you cannot hear nothing. Don't worry.
1: <laughs> so, so yeah, I I I honestly think that the church moves slowly because when she makes when she makes a declaration, she makes it with full heart in conjunction with the entire magisterium of the church. She makes a declaration, and it that that's, that's not taken lightly. It takes time. I think the beauty. To be able to look at the church is to understand its beauty. And to understand its beauty is to understand our role in that beauty. We're not exempt from that. The beautiful things that came out of Second Vatican Council, those that are sitting in the pews are not spectators. They're co-celebrants. With the main celebrant, the priest was up on the altar. We all come together. I think that that's one of the beautiful things the nativity has, is that we all sit together around the sanctuary. This beautiful idea that we come around this table. The table that the Lord invites us to. So there is a lot of misconceptions, but I think I think more than anything, those misconceptions are misled by a misinformation or a lack of information. So mm,
0: yeah, I well said. And lack of engagement too, because I say well, all it takes is just to hopefully listen to this podcast. So if you're enjoying this and you know somebody that's, you know, one spiritual direction, you know, just uh pointed to this. And that's why I was so happy when you said yes. And so you're now the the pastor at Nativity and you have so many kids. And of course, I'm very happy because my two kids are <laughs> there with you. But we know that, uh, you know, it's later in life, like as people age, and I think we see the end of the road close by, we get closer to God. I think that's a natural thing. But how do we get more young people involved? Early on, what uh, what are you saying besides the ones that go? I mean, you say I went to public school, I wasn't there, and yet you found that spirituality. What can it be done through what ministry can we get the the youth involved?
1: You know yeah, when the church talks about the family as the domestic church, there's a reason she declares that. she declares that because the foundations of the faith are laid at home. I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt. That to involve the younger crowd to our faith, they must see that lived out at home. If there is a dichotomy, that doesn't work. And if I'm going to be very honest, most often than not, especially our younger kids, because they are, they have access to so much information so quickly. And even though it might not be the correct information, they are, they have access to that information. I wonder how many times they see through the falsities that maybe we might say or preach. That's why authenticity for me is so very important. I'm not perfect, but authenticity is so very important because they're going to see through that. Do they see that you really do believe in what you're preaching and saying? I think sometimes the younger groups uh, in our society have seen the church maybe as you know, an antiquated um, institution maybe they can be spiritual without having to uh, be a part of an organized religion. They've seen the corruption that has happened in organized religion, not only in Catholicism, but all around. We see that in the news many times, unfortunately, and this has affected them. This is a generation now that questions everything, absolutely everything. They are questioning all of the institutions that have already been established, and they're asking the why. And I think the most beautiful thing that we can do as parents, as priests, as leaders in uh, in our faith, is to be able to allow our younger members to be able to see the authenticity of what we say and preach, not only in words, how we live our life. Yesterday in my homily, I was telling people that one of the reasons why I usually don't uh, wear the Roman collar. Uh, all the time is because of two things. And I made a joke of it, but it's actually true. (laughs) It always closes. I've uh, gained a few pounds and I'm always uh, worried that one of the buttons might become a projectile and poke somebody's eye out. But the second one is that the moment someone finds out that I'm a priest, they change. They become something else, what they believe they ought to be in front of me. And I dislike that so very much because the authentic person that's before me is no longer there. Now, granted, I'm not talking for people to be vulgar and uh, disrespectful, but just be you. It's okay Mm. to be able to joke. It's okay to be able to have a glass of wine or a beer. It's okay to be able to talk about things that are not church immediately. And I I am convinced of that. When they hear, this is Father Robert, everybody changes. Mm. And I think that they change because they see this persona that they have to become And that's not authentic. And I wonder how many times maybe we as a clergy have created that, where we've created this division. And if that's true, then our young people are seeing that. I think if we're going to reel in our kids, it's we have to take note of what the Protestants are doing in their churches. They're doing the things that maybe we have lacked to do, to be able to include them in an atmosphere that they might understand. Are you today is visual. They learn visually. I was talking to a video producer and he said, count in a commercial. How many times the camera switches in one commercial, you have between 25 to 30 different camera positions because it's sensory. People get bored very easily nowadays. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of the Protestant churches have been able to address that. They have all of this visual and sensual uh, ways of worshiping that maybe we don't have, but that doesn't mean that what we have is not good enough. I think that we need to be able to bring that to our youth to see and allow them to see in themselves their participation in this. They're not spectators. They belong. This is theirs as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Why, that's so so beautiful and I totally agree and uh I mean I can I think the audience gets it we can I could talk to you for hours but uh, you're a busy man but I I do want to finish up emphasizing a beautiful experience that the all, all Catholic churches have which is the mos Retreat which I did last year my husband seeing that I did it he got inspired did it now he's helping also on the mos Retreat Good. and uh and there's you know Because I think it's a great way when people listen to you and anybody's feeling like those butterflies, maybe I should go back to church. Maybe I should reconnect with my faith. I think that's a great way to do just that. And you correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think you have to be a Catholic to do the Emmaus retreat or you have to?
1: Absolutely not. I've, uh, I've, I've always used the Emmaus retreat as maybe that link between someone who's searching desperately and has no idea what it is that's calling out inside of them why would I push them away? Why would I tell them they don't belong? What if God is working through that person and is using us as instruments to be able to get his message through? I would never, as pastor, would never push anyone who is not Catholic away from the retreat. Everybody is welcome.
0: Mm, so I love that. And that's why I want to highlight it. So if you're curious, asking your churches, Nativity has for the women, October 4th to the 6th. The men, they're about to go as we are taping yes. this, so it's, it's too late. But every church has an MOS retreat. The Nativity, does a great one. So this is a great bridge into connecting with your spirituality. So Father Robert, that's my last question is always... About what makes you tick. So obviously, we have the big answer for you. Is besides, tell us something that maybe will surprise us. Something that does that, that we don't know that when Father Robert feels down and needs to reconnect to his essence, he goes to.
1: So, I think the most important thing to describe when uh, trying to answer that question of what makes me tick, I think my passion is what makes me tick. Everything that I do, I do with passion. If I'm going to do something mediocrely, I'm not going to bother doing it. People who have had the opportunity to know me more intimately and probably more in depth will know that about me. I don't do things just simply haphazardly. I do them with my entire heart. I hope that that comes across when I celebrate Mass. I hope that comes across when I have people sitting in my office and I'm listening to them. I hope that comes across when we prepare for the different seasons in the church and whatever the environment on the sanctuary is to help us to focus on what the liturgical movement is for that season all of those things and then for me i think um personally whenever i'm down and whenever i need uh, a little boosting i have two two venues that i usually go I travel down the elementary school and there is not one time that I traveled down that uh, hallway that I don't leave energized because they all come running. And to feel that love that somehow you've made that connection with them is very important. As a matter of fact, in a few hours after our interview, I'm going to be meeting with the eighth graders. I feel that I've lost that connection with them. And we're going to have a question and answer session with Father Robert. They can ask mm. anything. I I want them to connect with me so that they understand who I am. In a few months, we lose them. They're going to go to high school. Many of them have received their uh, scholarships and letters of acceptances. So they're already on that mode of where I'm going and what I'm going to do after this. I don't want them to leave here without that connection with me. And so the second part would be probably the kitchen. To me, to spend some time with maybe a little jazz playing in the background and just working with whatever ingredients I'm working with, that helps me to be able to disconnect. Why? Because whatever comes out from my hands, and usually whenever we have a birthday party here or something, I don't do gifts because I'm very bad at what to get people, but mm-hmm. I give them food. That mm-hmm. what I created, I created with my hands and I have created with love. Because I hope that that comes out with whatever dish it is that I'm uh, preparing. And so that's what helps me to be able to disconnect and reconnect uh, all at the same time.
0: Mm, beautiful. And for, for the record, when you hear that Nativity is having their auction gala, uh, Father Robert, one of the most prized items there is a meal <laughs> cooked by Father right It goes by a lot of money. so. He, he must really be a great cook, so watch out for that, any of you, and uh, that's beautiful. And then another thought, you have an, an incredible voice for this. You should do either a podcast or a, or a broadcast, ask, ask anything to Father Robert. I think it would do
1: very good. <laughs> if I had the time, believe you me, I would. I um, I think I found a, a good connection, let's call it that, when COVID hit and obviously the churches had to close their doors, which was To any priest you ask was probably the hardest, the hardest time in our ministries to see people on the other side of the door that you weren't able to open the doors for. And so we were, as I was saying at the beginning, before we actually went live, we all became TV producers overnight. We started with (laughs) cell phones, maybe, and starting to broadcast to allow our parishioners to see what was happening on the inside of those doors and to still communicate and keep some kind of uh, connection with them. And I realized that, you know, even though I had never done it before, uh, I kind of liked the the social media aspect of that, being able to spread the message. Thankfully, here at Nativity, the masses that are being uh, live streamed are uh, some of the ones that I celebrate already. So I don't have to put forth an effort in actually doing something else. But yeah, if, the, if it weren't available here, I probably would have set something up like that because this, this is the new way. As you told me, this is the way in which we get information out now
0: absolutely absolutely so yeah everybody can tune into the live mass so you can see i mean father robert's incredible homilies and i'm going to go even one step further because i've had confession with father robert many times and i think anybody that's out there that hesitates on i haven't done it in so long i cannot do this i This is somebody that you will feel welcome. He's just exactly how you listen to him. He's (laughs) a regular guy. So don't be afraid. Uh, If that's something that's been sitting in your heart, just go for it. Father Robert, thank you so much for being here today and for all you do for our community and for everybody that wants a piece of Jesus and spirituality. Thank you so much. I
1: appreciate so much that you would consider me to doing something like this. I, I just a little bit of me so that people uh, know where I come from and uh, what makes me tick. And hopefully that reminds people I didn't come from the planet priest. I'm just as human as everybody else. The only difference is my calling is different. I was called to be a priest. That's it.
0: And uh, and uh, great guy you are. So thank you so much. And thank you all for tuning into Back to Basics. And until next episode. Bye-bye.